The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them out, when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Thank you, Nigel. Let's pray together and ask God to speak to us this morning. Father, we come to look at a, uh, a very important topic today. We pray you'd help us to... Uh, hear what you say to us through your word, for Jesus' sake. Amen. So this morning, this is what we're thinking about. Is Jesus good news for the LGBTI community, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, intersex community? Is Jesus good news? Well, this morning I will be saying that Jesus is very good news, very good news indeed for the LGBTI communities, uh, because I believe that Jesus is good news for everyone, that is everyone, every single person on this planet. But then we also need to recognize that if you are 
say, part of those communities, or if someone in your family is, or maybe if your work colleagues are gay, or your neighbours, then it gets a whole load more complicated, doesn't it? And can get a whole load more difficult, and certainly gets a whole load more personal. And it's no surprise, is it, that many people in that question, if you ask them, is Jesus good news to the LGBTI community, many people would say, no. In fact, Jesus is the most appallingly bad news. He's restrictive. He's telling me my lifestyle is wrong. He's condemning us to a life of loneliness and frustration and sadness. And he's condemning us to a life which, frankly, hardly seems worth living. And that's just Jesus. Then there's the church. And they're even worse because half of them don't know what they do believe or then they go and change their minds and they believe something else. And then there are some of them who do things like this. They come and demonstrate and they have posters and things saying, God hates you. Uh, You're not blessed, you're cursed, you're going to hell. Now that's over in the States, as you can see from the uh, stars and stripes there. But there is no place for that in the Christian church. And if you are here today or you're listening online, it could well be that you've been hurt or mangled by the church because of your sexuality. And, And I can only say that the Christian church in this country and around the world has a great deal to be ashamed of and a great deal to learn. And I, for one, am deeply, deeply sorry. Our question for today is this. Is Jesus good news? for the LGBTI communities. Uh, The question is not, are Christians good news for those communities? And the question is not, is the church good news for LGBTI? But uh, because Christians and the church, we've made a load of mistakes and we've behaved in a very ungodly way many, many times over. But if we can... Let's look at this question. Is Jesus good news for the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, intersex communities? So we're going to look at five things that Jesus offers everyone. That is everyone. And I sincerely hope this will help us all to behave more like Jesus and understand what true life is really about. So in some ways, this morning is not about Uh, those communities, the LGBTI communities. In some ways, this is just simply what Jesus offers everyone. But we want to say he offers these things to everyone, every person on this planet. And uh, I sincerely hope this will just therefore help us all to behave more like Jesus and understand better what true life is really about. And here at BH, we try to teach the Bible. We believe the Bible is true. We believe the Bible is God's word, God speaking to us, God communicating. And we believe the Bible, uh, really and rightly understood, speaks truth to our lives, whoever we are. Uh, And sometimes that truth is uncomfortable. And I suspect this morning we will all find some aspects of what we see uncomfortable. That's not necessarily a bad thing, is it? It's not necessarily a bad thing. So here's the first thing. Uh, Jesus 
uh, offers all of us true acceptance. Now, I think it's really important to understand that what the Bible says, for instance, about homosexuality is an absolutely tiny part of what God wants to say to us all, to straight people, to gay people, and all the rest of it. It is just an absolutely tiny part of what God wants to say to us as human beings. And sometimes we just seem to focus on the negative, don't we, on what we perceive to be sins. But uh, those are neither the first thing, nor actually the only thing, that God wants to say to us. Now, I guess we all dream, don't we, of finding love and acceptance. And gay people have, in the hands of the church, historically found rejection. In fact, worldwide, it still happens. So uh, it's not just in the church. Apparently, there are still, uh, it's only about 70, uh, no, there are still 70 ch- uh, countries in the world where same-sex activity is still a crime. That's 70 countries where it's still a crime to have gay sex. A crime. Imprisonable offence. And, uh, and then you hear things, um, uh, I found this, Robert Mugabe, former president of Zimbabwe some while ago, speaking to the UN, he said this, this is absolutely outrageous, he said this, lesbians and gays are less than human and therefore not entitled to human rights. That's outrageous, isn't it? Now, in the UK in 1967, um, uh, when um, it was then... you know, it was within the law for a homosexual act between consenting adults over 21 in private to, and to no longer be a crime. And we need to remember that Jesus told us that we get uh, spiritually dirty and separated from God in our hearts. And it's not just through a, a homosexual uh, uh, attraction or something like that. And the fact is, the truth is, we're all dirty, unclean, sinful before God in all sorts of ways so if we can let's put our sexuality to one side for a moment and recognize that we're all sinful dirty unclean before God and separated from God we're sinful people Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God all everyone you me everyone and lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, intersex, all real, true, eternal acceptance comes because God loves us, whoever we are. And Jesus came and died for us, whoever we are. And Christians need to get over this. If we're happily married with a couple of kids, Jesus died for gay people as well as he died for you. We need to get over this, don't we? And he loves gay people just as as much as he loves you. Couldn't love them anymore. And he wants gay and lesbian people to accept his acceptance and to accept the fact that he loves them just as much as he wants us to. So you look in the passage here, look at verse 11, it's in John 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He does that because he loves us, whoever we are. And God's love for all of us must be something that we all show. Whoever we are, God loves you. Deeply, profoundly, more than you would ever imagine. 
true acceptance? Well, that's the first thing that Jesus offers us all, true acceptance. Second thing is that Jesus offers us all, it's this tridentity. Now, I, I think it was near the, the start of the first sermon in this little mini-series. I think, by the way, we'll, I'm going to ask if we can put all four sermons onto one CD so that we can, that we can have them there. But in the first sermon, I, t- I, t- I told you about a friend of mine, sat down on the plane, laid next door to him, offered him a hand, and said, uh, Hi, I'm Jean, I'm gay. And was wondering what we might reply to that. And I went on to say, well, a really good reply would have been to say, Hi, I'm Phil, I'm a creation of God, and because I'm a Christian, I'm a child of God. You know, Genesis 1 and 2, as we've been looking at these things over past weeks, are absolutely foundational for our understanding of who we are as people. And this just raises the question, where is our identity found? Now, many people in the LGBTI communities would say true identity is found in our sexuality. I'm Jean, I'm gay, for instance. But the trouble with that is, is that uh, if sexuality and sex is the defining thing about us and the most fulfilling thing in life, that raises all sorts of questions about our overall identity. And by the way, as a, uh, just as a slight tangent, it's interesting to see that the frequency of sex in this country has been declining significantly over the last 10 years. Despite all the talk that as a nation, you know, we're going to be fulfilled and we can have sex, whichever direction or whatever we'd like to do and so on, actually we're having less sex. In fact, so much so that if the current trend continues, the average person in the UK will never be having sex by the time we get to 2040. Which means, I guess, that as a nation we'll die out by maybe 2100. It just puts Brexit into perspective, doesn't it, really, don't you think? <laughs> and I'm sure at some point the, uh, uh, the trend will reverse. But when we say, you are your sexuality, when we say, your sexual feelings define you, they are you at the most you, therefore everyone's sexuality has to be affirmed, or you're rejecting me at the deepest and most profound level. And that rejection is not only dangerous, but it's offensive. Well, the trouble with that is, if you are your sexuality, and therefore sexual fulfillment is the key, so if you're not having sex, you're not fulfilled, and it's not a life worth living, well, at least that's the extreme statement of that position. I think that's cruel. Because Jesus tells us that sex is not the key, it's not essential for a complete life. You can have a complete life and not be sexually active and never have been sexually active. There's a better story here. I mean, if you say you must have sex to be fulfilled, you're denying the full humanity of Jesus. Actually, you're also denying the full humanity of children. And you're also denying maybe the full humanity of older folks who are now gone beyond the time when they would have sex. Very old folks. And if you believe that, here's a theological point, we're in all sorts of trouble. Because Jesus' death for us 
was not truly representative because he was not a fully representative human being. And we're all going to hell. Our identity is never defined by our sexuality, our temptations, our sin, but by who God says we are. And I and you are a creation of God. And if you're a Christian, you are a child of God. That's who I am. And it is hugely liberating. John Stott wrote this. True gay liberation is not freedom from God's revealed purpose in order to construct our own morality. It is rather freedom from our self-willed rebellion in order to love and obey him. And Sean Doherty, I think I quoted this last week, the 27, uh, in 2017 he edited a chapter from John Stott's book from uh, Issues Facing Christians Today, and uh, he wrote this. It was clear that my identity, he's a, he's a gay man who edited this book, and he wrote this, it was clear that my identity is in Christ and not my sexuality, that my sexuality was no more fallen than anyone else's, that I'm made in the image of God and that my sexuality does not undermine that and that sex is not necessary for fulfillment. And Jesus offers us all true acceptance, true identity. Third, Jesus offers us all true life. Now it's very easy to think that true life is found in a great career. Success in our chosen path in life, as, uh, that true, true life is found in plenty of disposable income or a fulfilling relationship. And our society shouts at us that whether we're lesbian or gay or straight or whatever, uh, that sexual fulfillment is the key, the gateway to true life. Well, contrast that with Sam Albury, himself gay, who wrote this. The deepest yearnings of our hearts and souls are met in Christ. A life without marriage and sex is not a life of loneliness and without intimacy. We can live life without sex, but we can't live life without intimacy because we're made for it. Most of us don't have intimacy because we live in the Facebook generation where real friendship is measured by how many friends and likes you have. And he says it is uh, uh, through his church family that he finds friendship and family and intimacy. And he wrote, I now have far more family than I used to have. True life, true life is founded in a relationship with Jesus. Not in sex, however uh, good, or, or, uh, nor even in a, in, a, in a special relationship that you may have. When it was Jesus who said in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. That means I am the staple of life. I am essential for life. And it was Jesus who says here in verse 14 of the passage in John 10, I am the good shepherd... I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. And it's that relationship with Jesus which brings life, real life, actually the only proper, full, and complete life. Jesus offers that to everyone. And when we accept it for ourselves, we begin this eternal life which starts now and transcends death and goes to all eternity in heaven with him.
So Jesus offers us true life. And then the fourth thing is true fulfillment. True fulfillment. Many LGBTI folks would say that the traditional and orthodox Christian way, uh, which I believe with all my heart, but they would say it's unfair and unjust. It's taking away any hope of fulfillment and intimacy and friendship and contentment. But my point is this, that God's design is that the Christian church should be the place where all people find those things. So God's design is that if you're looking for fulfillment, intimacy, friendship, contentment, you will find it within a relationship with Jesus and amongst his people right here, right now. And the Christian church is this group of, of Christ's people. And we're supposed to be the place where we can be open, where we can be honest, where we can get real with each other, where we can share our deepest longings and desires. And we've failed miserably, haven't we? In the Christian church in this country. And it is one reason, for instance, that one of our wildly important goals of 2018 is around this area of belonging. So that we can feel that we, and know that we belong. We have a real group of people that we're part of, we belong to. Oh, and by the way, intimacy is not, I'm not talking about sexual intimacy. But I'm talking about deep friendships where we're not ashamed to share the deepest feelings and longings and what's going on in our hearts. And those ought to be there, those kind of friendships in a church. The thing is, though, for, for, for gay folks, and in fact for a vast majority of people in our country, this doesn't make sense, does it? A gay man wrote this, My relationship is the best thing that's ever happened to me. What could possibly be worth giving up that for? Absolutely. You can understand that. But Jesus says, whoever you are, I will give you true fulfillment. And actually it's not found anywhere else. Fulfillment doesn't depend on being fulfilled sexually. Because your sexuality is not the core of who you are. No earthly relationship, sexual or otherwise, can make life complete. But Jesus can and does. And if you think some earthly relationship can make life complete for you, you'll be a very hard partner to have. Because you'll be putting a huge burden on your other half. A huge burden. And true fulfillment actually comes and only comes through knowing Jesus, whoever you are. Verse 10 here. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And he talks there at the beginning of that verse about the thief. That is the alternatives to Jesus. The alternative offers of life and fulfillment and completeness. And what does Jesus say they do? He says in the end, they will steal and kill 
and destroy. But Jesus came that we may have life and have it to the full, true fulfillment. And then finally, Jesus offers us, well, finally for this morning, Jesus offers us much more than these, but it's true love. So we see these, uh, um, these things here this morning. True acceptance, true identity, true life, true fulfillment, and true love. There is much more than that, but I want to focus on these five this morning. Now, many of us would think that true life is to be found in a committed and a preferably sexual, maybe essentially sexual relationship, be that straight, gay, whatever. Well, there's no one who knows and loves me better than God. There's no one who knows and loves you better than God. So verses 14 and 15 here of John 10, I'm the good shepherd I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And true love is a sacrificial love, and this laying down my life for the sheep comes again and again here. So it's at the end of uh, verse 15 now, I lay down my life for the sheep. Before that, it's in verse 11, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It's in verse 17, um, as I lay down my life, only to take it up again, it's talking about his resurrection. It's verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. True love is a sacrificial love which lays down its life. And you may think you found it in another human being. And it's marvellous when we experience that, someone's sacrificial love for us. That's what a marriage should be like, as a husband sacrificially loves his wife. But in its supreme and perfect fulfilment, that is only found in Jesus. And when we start following him, and when we know this true love, he's very clear that there are going to be, have to be things that we would leave behind. All sorts of things that we would have to leave behind in this life because we've taken hold of the one who offers us true acceptance, true identity, true life, true fulfillment, true love, and a whole load more things as well. But there are, will have to be some things, including some relationships, that we'll have to lay down in order to grasp hold of Jesus and all that he offers us. So, for instance, in Mark chapter 10 and verses uh, 28 to 30, uh, Jesus says this. Peter spoke up. He said, we've left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. So I'm, this, I'm saying this to everyone, not just to our LGBTI friends. It may well come to some relationships you can't actually take into the Christian life. But Jesus says that even in this age, even in this age, even while you're alive now, you will receive in this age far more from me than you ever left behind for me. 
You see, he's talking here not just about relationships, but he's talking about uh, homes, fields, all sorts of you know, things, and also relationships. And he says, if you lay those down for me, you will receive far more from me in this life. And then in the age to come, eternal life will be yours as you look forward to that in the here and now. He promises us all true love. If I may put it like this, a relational jackpot. True love. True acceptance. True identity. True life. True fulfillment. And true love. We can find those things in all sorts of areas of life. I would not deny that for one moment. Of course we can, to some degree. But if you want them as good as they can be, if you want them as perfectly as they can be, if you want them as wonderfully as they can be, there's only one place to go. In fact, there's only one person to go to. And his name is Jesus. Let's pray together. It's a prayer for me and then Ian and Hazel are going to lead us in our prayers. Lord Jesus, we know that so many things in life do offer acceptance, identity, life, fulfillment, love. But we see from your word that in terms of their totality, we only find them in you. And we pray, Lord, however that will work out in our lives, that we may turn to you and seek you and ask you for true acceptance, true identity, true life, true fulfillment, and true love. We pray this for your name's sake and for your glory. Amen.